Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul Oneid, and today I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by a good friend of mine, uh, mentor of mine, Brian Carroll. Brian is the owner of Power Rack Strength, best-selling author of 1020 Life and the Gift of Injury, and a McGill Method practitioner based out of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, not to mention, Brian is and has been one of the strongest people on the planet, if not the strongest person on the planet. Does your squat record still stand? Um, not overall, but in the 308 class, it does. Yeah, a guy chipped it. The, the guy, and I I can't say this enough, the guy weighed 525 that chipped it. <laughs> I weighed 303, you know, not even filling out the 308 weight class. And this guy weighed in at 525. And I sold him his, I sold him his Enzer squat suit, you know, five, six years ago or whatever. You know, biggest one I could get, I sent it. So it was like a 4XL. So he squatted double body weight. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. But anyway, yeah, so it's still at 308. I'm honestly surprised that Hoff hasn't broke it, or at least, you know, made a, you know, attempt to, to break it. But, I mean, he might be doing that in a week or two. But it's it's made to be broken, so someone will come along and probably break it. But, you know, an interesting thing, the first 1,100 squat was 2003 by Steve Goggins, right? Yep. The first 1,200-pound squat was very controversial with Mike Miller. That was like in 2007 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that was, four, it was 14 or so years before anyone broke the 1,300 barrier. And um, it's interesting because the the 11 and 12 fell, fell pretty close together, three years apart, right? Yeah. 06, 07. And, uh, yeah, it took a long time to go to that next level. And a lot of people were in the 12s for a long time. You know, that Vlad guy that was mm-hmm. there for a while, you had Yarnbosch, you had Hoff. Uh, AJ Roberts, Donnie Thompson, like the who's who of the big squatters. And, uh, you know, Donnie got about 1265, Hoff got 1273, a couple guys in the low 12, like AJ Roberts, uh, Yarnbosch mid 12. But yeah, just that, that number just seems to be like one of those tough ones that, um, I don't think there'll be a ton of people to ever break it in my opinion. And you did it after exploding your spine. Yeah, I did after, and I, I tore my freaking bicep off less than a month before. I, yeah, so I, I remember seeing that. Hold on to the bar like I would have liked to. But, you know, it worked out fine. But, yeah, I exploded my spine uh, seven years before that and competed for another seven years and then just quit uh, after the squat. So our paths crossed. I was thinking back. 2011 was the first time I ever met you in person at the Outlaw Meet in Tampa, Florida. Yeah, Tommy, Pan, Tommy, Tommy Fannin's meet. Yep. And then our paths crossed again when you brought me on to be a writer and sponsored athlete with Power Rack Strength, which was my first opportunity to write. And missed one though. What? 2014 Raw Unity with Casey Williams. Oh, yeah. Yep. Bob Young's was rapping you. That's right. And he gave me the worst rap of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I was there handling Steve Goggins for his return to me. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's K- it was Casey's first big meet, I think. Yep. Casey's first big meet. It was, it, and it's been, you know, with bring like coming to Power Rack, really being uninitiated to writing. And that was my, that was around the same time like social media started picking up a lot and, you know, online promotions and stuff like that. And it's been really interesting to see the evolution of your business over the course of that period because it's, Change like there's been a lot of different things that you've done and continue to do. So I'm wondering if you could kind of give a synopsis of you go from 
all-time world record holding powerlifter, going through the back injury, becoming an author, then starting to coach people within that specialty and transitioning your business in that vein. Like what's, what's been that process for you? Okay. It's been an interesting process for sure. So I never had really any intent on writing books and, um, I thought about it at some point or another. I took some writing classes in college. I was pretty decent at it, but I just didn't have a desire to write books. And then Chris Bartle got me smoking weed in 2013. And uh, the creativity part of my brain started going off. And this is, I'm not, I'm not making a joke about this. Like I, I started smoking at night and uh, man, I just had this urge to write and so I would just start tapping out in a Word document, wait, uh, talking about cutting weight. And then I wrote a big-ass article on it and then turned it into a book. Okay, there's cutting weight. 1020 in Life was similar to that. And they were both in 2013 within a month of starting to use cannabis. Now, I'm not crediting cannabis for, you know, all my business success or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but it's an interesting thing that came to mind just now. I never considered writing or started writing until I started smoking. So... My business, we rewind back. In 06, I worked at Coca-Cola. I, I was in sales. I filled the shelves. I built displays. I filled the coolers, the vending machines, the whole nine. Maintained the back room. Helped order, all that stuff. I'd been there seven years, and I realized I just didn't want to be there anymore. It was hard work, and it was very unappreciated hard work. So during this time, around 06, Two, I went to massage therapy school, got my massage therapy license, and then slowly started branching out. I learned the A&P, you know, in the uh, massage therapy school. I, I had a good job that paid well, even though I didn't like it. So I was able to pay for my massage therapy school with cash. So I started off on the right foot with the business, right? Mm -hmm. Not having debt, you know, not everyone can do that. Yeah. So I worked at Coke a little longer until one day they pissed me off one too many times. And I said, you know what? I'm going to step out and I'm going to go work full-time as a massage therapist. So from 06 uh, to 10, I did that. And uh, during that time, my body weight exploded because I wasn't running and hustling all day. I was, you know, massaging people isn't nearly as uh, active, you know? <laughs> so work as a massage therapist for a while and was training people too on the side. And then eventually decided I don't want to work for people anymore. So I started my own, I rented some space in a studio and did part-time massage therapy with some athletes and regular people and then part-time training with athletes and some people. And around that time, after a couple of years of doing that, I started uh, the books that I wrote. I started PRS. And then also during that time, I hurt my back pretty bad, you know, starting in 09, but it would kind of come and go. And then it really came to a head in 13. So I was working for myself, had my own business. Powerlifting was kind of, I was struggling in that a bit because my back was messed up. So I stayed with the massage therapy and the personal training, met Dr. McGill, and that kind of started to really change my trajectory uh, in all ways. And uh, my business model in all ways, you know, I was doing a lot of online coaching starting in like 08, 09. So I had a lot of different things going, different sources of income or different interests. But uh, around 20, 15, I started to get a lot of people like wanting advice for their back, even in, in 13, but mainly 15, 16, more and more. And I started moving away from more powerlifting centric coaching to consulting and, and coaching with people 
that uh, have hurt their back in powerlifting. And so in 17, we wrote Gift of Injury, and that came out. That kind of propelled me uh, a bit higher with uh, Miguel and I writing that book. And people could actually see the story and everything. And that really helped shape the business that I work in now in consulting. I still work with powerlifters. I haven't written much because I've been working on uh, revamping the site and updating it, but I'm going to start writing again, you know, our, our articles and blogs. But as we talked about last week at Swiss, you know, Swiss was a great time. Yeah. I've been doing more YouTube and that's just like more putting myself out there and then embed the videos on PRS. But to summarize, uh, I never had uh, a particular set of uh, goals that I wanted to do for work or accomplish. It's just kind of happened. Uh, over the years, kind of stumbling, falling, getting lucky. And then uh, here we are where I just do consulting and I work, you know, I'm a McGill certified practitioner. So I do a lot of consulting virtually and in person. I might work with um, average Joe down the street that, that figures me out, you know, and what I do. Or I might work with like A-lister, A-lister in Hollywood or, you know, professional athletes but the biggest thing that I tell people, they're like, who do you want to work with? Well, a lot of the time, it's not people of fresh back pain. Because people with fresh back pain, a lot of the time, they're not going to want to follow like the more rigid approach that I will have. Mm-hmm. Because I go I go, and I approach it from, from uh, 360 degrees, whereas a chiropractor has their way, pain management has their way, PT has their way. I look at everything. So that's what I, that's what I do now. And... Um, most of the people that I see further back have failed with 10 or so people. And they're like, they've succumbed to the process. So then I can do my work then when they've succumbed and they'll just listen. But that's one thing that uh, is difficult is people to fresh back pain. They don't always listen. They got to fall sometimes. Well, I mean, you and I have spoken about this a lot when it came to, you know, when you were helping me out with my knee, it was like, it's so easy to say, I'll do anything to succeed. But when doing anything involves actually doing nothing, that's the hardest thing in the world for someone who's a control freak, right? Yep. So what, what you talked about with succumbing to the process or almost just like yielding to it. It's like, I can't push anymore. I have to let this guy take control. It makes a ton of sense. And like in within that, I think it's important, you know, we chatted just a bit offline prior to the call about, I like presenting different people's business models because coaching is such a dynamic industry and in that everyone does it just a little bit differently. So you mentioned you work more so on a consultation basis. And if I'm not mistaken, please correct me is you have that initial consultation, which if anyone is familiar with the McGill method is very robust, like it's very intensive. Then that initial intervention phase and then you kind of leave people on their own to do that and have scheduled check-ins along the way. So you don't have a conventional month-to-month business model. It's consultation to consultation. Yeah, because some people, it might take them three months to like start making progress. They might have been beating themselves up for so long doing traditional physical therapy. And they're so wound up and sensitized that we can't do anything for a while. So it's might be one of those things. Hey, email me or book on the website, book on PRS uh, whenever you're feeling uh, better or you're at this point when you can walk for 30 minutes without pain. Then let's book another call and I'll give you the next progression. Okay. Now, one of the things that I run into and I know a lot of other coaches run into is issues with adherence. How do you prevent 
that client getting lost in the shuffle? Like, how do you keep them accountable to the process as you go along? Or are you at a point where you're like, follow it or don't? I know I can help you. You have to, you know, do the work. Both. It really just depends. How do I track them? I, I keep uh, a spreadsheet and I uh, have, uh, usually I won't get off the, the call with someone without at least having a date where we're going to meet again. Most times we'll, we'll go ahead and book another Google calendar or uh, I use Google Meet another Google meet call, or depending on who they are, I might just say, when your pain winds down, email me or mm -hmm. email me in one month. And if those people aren't hungry to get better and they want to go try five other different things and talk to three different people, then that's on them. So it's kind of both like the person that's hungry. I make sure I make myself available to them that wants to learn. Right. But the person that's super busy and they're worth, you know, a hundred million dollars, I'm not going to hunt them down and like beg them to follow the program. Right. That makes and sense. It's, it's hard. It's hard because you want results, especially if they're a big name, but you can't make anyone buy in. You can't make anyone follow the process. And at the end of the day, you need to have people fail a lot of the time. You know, I mentioned the fresh back pain thing. People aren't going to want to take time off immediately. Uh, if they have fresh back pain, they think, oh, this is just like my knee that was sore two years ago. I took three weeks off and it felt better than ever and hasn't hurt me since. Well, if that's you, then great. Go to the chiropractor, go do some stretches from YouTube, go follow Athlean X and, and do some of that stuff. And then unfortunately, these same people a year later, especially power lifters, they come back. You were right. I should have taken time off. You know, I want to help. I want your help now. And it's not like I told you so. It's just, okay, I'll help you. But you got to you gotta be willing to, to follow the process. And it's not like I know. I don't know everything. Right. But I do know you got to remove the cause. That's what I do know. And sometimes it can be um, dealing with alpha males and type A personalities. These guys are bullheaded. And my job is to tell them the truth. And, of course, I need to do it with care and love and respect. But at the same time, it has to be firm. And truth is uh, is important to be honest with the client and let them know you got some healing to do. Um, I don't I think you're doing too much or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to be honest with them. That can be difficult. I think you, you can speak to it from a position of authority, though. Like you talk about, you know, being an alpha male, whatever. It's like very few people can speak from the perspective of, yeah, I get it. You're an alpha male. I get it. You want to be a high performer. But if you want to you know, do what you want to do. You got to do this. Look, I squatted 1,306 pounds. Yeah. It's possible. Not, and I try not to like be too, too bullish with it. Luckily I'm, I'm, I'm busy enough where I don't have to, um, I don't have to solicit very much. And I don't have to try to convince people, you know, a lot of the times the people, like I said, they're ready to, to, to get going. The problem comes is when they're feeling better after a month. And they want to get right back under the bar and, and, and skip the whole plan that we've had uh, to, to not get right back under the bar. And then they re-injure themselves or they we get into a bit of a tiff because I say, we've talked about this. You're going to feel better quickly. Pain-free doesn't mean healed. It'd be very unwise to start going back and loading right away because you're going to continue in this loop of feeling better, uh, lifting, feeling okay, getting hurt, acute. And then this, this loop over and over. So um, I work with different people in different parts of their life with different goals. And it's been interesting, but I, I certainly didn't plan 
10 years ago when I saw Dr. McGill, it's been exactly 10 and a half years. I didn't say, okay, Stu, you know, I want to get back to lifting and we'll write a book about it. And then I want to launch my own, you know, certified practitioner um, business. And then I'm going to help people all over the world. And we're going to write, you know, gift of injury in seven different languages and Korean and Polish and Czech, <laughs> Chinese and Italian and all that. So it wasn't so long-winded way to saying I had no plan for where I ended up right now. I didn't even want kids in my 20s. I actually remember having a conversation with you about that a long time ago. And it was it was funny because, you know, a lot of the people that I speak to about, about business, whether it be coaching or, or different businesses, they always talk about, you know, having an end goal, having a 10-year plan. Um, and for a lot of people that works, but for some, you kind of just have to ride the wave and find something that you're passionate about and kind of be in the moment and take the opportunities that have been granted to you all the while making your own. And so I think hearing your story, and I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people who don't necessarily know what they want to do, but are just really passionate about something. Yeah. I just kind of figured out what I wanted to do in the last couple of years. <laughs> the last couple of years that started in 2006 so, so we're running on 17 years to figure out what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. And I finished massage therapy school in 03. So yeah. And, and that gave me the base of, of, of what I do learn the anatomy and physiology and kinesiology and just learning about the muscles and the body in general and muscle tension and fascia and all that stuff. I love it. I love it. So a big part of what you do is that, that, you know, you mentioned the holistic view. So you look at everything that's involved and we chatted about the limitations of the current medical system and how, what you do as a consultant fills that gap, because there's a lot of people that fall into the cracks, talk about like, you know, chronic, chronic back pain, opioid addiction, unnecessary, I won't say unnecessary, but unnecessary surgeries and all the like. So maybe you could speak to your perspective in terms, especially like from an athletic perspective about why having someone in your corner with this type of expertise can be incredibly valuable. Yeah. Well, at the risk of selling, I sound like I'm just selling myself. There's, there's a big gap between general practitioners, physical therapists, radiologists, pain management specialists, and surgeons. No one communicates with each other. So for instance, um, no one knew that I'd already squatted. I had squatted 1,185 pounds um, when I was going to get my MRI. The doctor didn't care about that. He didn't care to pass it on to the radiologist. The radiologist wasn't looking for certain conditions in someone's spine that had squatted so much weight and was complaining about X, Y, and Z. And then when I went to the pain management specialist, it's the same thing. They don't talk to the doctor that, that doesn't talk to the radiologist. And so many people fall in the cracks. You can't spend enough time. You don't ever see the radiologist. When you go for an MRI, he sees your report or your scans, writes his report. He's in his office. He doesn't come up and meet you and say, oh, you're a weightlifter. I should probably be looking for bone edema and stress fractures, you know, or if it's a ballerina or a dancer, I should be looking for a spondy or a facet joint syndrome or something like that. Uh, they just see a name and they have no idea that I weigh 300 pounds or you weigh whatever, or she's only 120 pounds. So there's so many problems that, that come about with cookie cutter programs, cookie cutter systems, 
that uh, people generally just get worse. And then I have to take the holistic view because they're doing so many different things that the client is, they're doing so many different things sometimes that I have to look at it and say, okay, start over. Maybe this is good. Maybe that's good. It's probably not good that chiropractor sold you on a 10 week plan coming in three times a week. That, that to me, what do you do to tell you that your neck's a little bit straight and your hip, your hips are off because one leg's longer than the other. They do that to everybody. They say that to everybody because it's a selling point. Right. It's a selling point. Everyone's neck straightens out after a while. They lose the curve a little bit. Everyone has a leg that's drawn up a little bit higher than the other. We're perfectly asymmetrical, all of us. And that's a selling gimmick to get you going in there. So they do the big seven on you. They crack your neck. They crack your T-spine. They crack each hip. Uh, they do a little bit of manipulation with your feet and your and your toes, and then you're done. You know, maybe you get a little bit more than that, but that's a general um cookie cutter program and people that have back pain and back pain is particular sometimes that'll help them sometimes that'll just completely light them up with nerve pain so i bridge the gap and i kind of take control as a consultant do an assessment on them tell them here's what i think you should do take some time off refer to back mechanic for uh all of your um you know foundational fallbacks you know, I write them a report on what I think of prognosis. And then, you know, from there, we might do follow-ups and such. I might still have them go to the chiropractor or get a massage every once in a while or do acupuncture. Um, maybe even go get um, epidurals. Like it might be a situation where it's like, okay, it's worth it. Go get the epidural. You got to go fly to Sweden next week and you're going to be dying, hmm. you know, or surgery. I've had multiple people that had such a giant disc fragment from the herniation and it was all over the nerve root they needed to get it cut out but most people can avoid surgery 95 percent of all the most complicated cases can avoid back surgery but some people will need back surgery well i mean the the fact that it's 95 percent is pretty surprising to me but then at the same time when we when we look at these gaps it's also not very surprising because the big picture is what's missing. So if all you see is what you see and you don't have any context around it and you're a surgeon, all you have is a scalpel, you're going to want to cut into that person. Yeah. Um, what I want to point out though, is in everything that you said, there are a ton of parallels that can be drawn, whether we're talking about back pain or whether we're talking about knee pain or elbow pain with any of our clients, you as a coach need to have an understanding of everything that's going on with that person including the context, because those doctors have no idea what that person's doing in the gym. They have no idea how much volume they're performing. They have no idea what patterns that they're performing. All they see is this person in front of them with pain, or even worse, they have a picture. Yep. So us as coaches, we need to have a great understanding of what's going on. What are each individual person giving us in terms of information from the practitioner side and then also what this person is actually complaining of, because I bet you, if you scanned my lower back, it's probably fucked. Mm -hmm. I have zero back pain. Yeah. I've never had back pain. Yeah. A lot of powerlifters have some sclerotic implants, and uh, it's just from an adaptation and they scaffold over and they keep uh, being able to bear load and they may look crappy on MRI, but they're not. They're not pain causing. So you don't do anything about it. You just continue to lift and load. And 
if it were if they're hurting, that would mean that you're doing too much, too much, too quick, not enough rest, right? But you're doing things right. So why would you operate on someone that's pain-free? And then you have the flip side of that. You have someone that looks has a terrible looking MRI and they have zero pain. But then you have someone that has a seemingly good MRI, but then they're in a ton of writhing pain and, and people think they're faking or they're you know a crazy person. And the problem is, is most of the MRIs are your lying supine. And that isn't generally people's pain generator. A lot of the time, it might be lateral flexion. It might be extension. It might be flexion, compression added to those movements. And then you got a giant disc bulge encroaching the nerve root. And then there's the problem. Right. So if you don't do testing to go along with the imaging, then the imaging is, is useless in some cases. How much, how much are you doing in terms of training with clients now, or is it primarily on the rehab side? Train, I, I train a few people that have been either former back people, or they kind of have uh, like an older relationship with me. And I just kind of kept them on and like train them and coach them, you know, but most of the people that I train now are like at one time or another, a back client. And so I just oversee the programming or they'll come to the gym here in Jacksonville and I'll work them out. And it's all different levels of people, but I would say probably 80, 20, 80% back people, 20% training, maybe nine, maybe 90, 10. And I'd be curious to know, especially working with like, um, like first responders, military personnel, you know, the mentality around that sort of employment isn't one of backing off. Right. And especially if these are people that are still active duty, how do you manage that reintegration once the rehab? Like, cause you can't really just sign someone off and say, all right, go have fun. Yeah. How does that work? So I'll give you an example for that. So a couple of years ago, I had a, this guy that reached out to me and he had just finished um, selection for the green Berets special selection and assessment. He, he said that he couldn't sleep because his back was hurting so bad. He blew it out during selection. So I did an assessment with him online and we just couldn't get his, his, uh, his disc fragment freed up. We couldn't get his leg freed up. So I ended up writing a report, sent it to a surgeon. His surgeon did some testing. He agreed with what I thought he was able to pinpoint the level that he was going to surgically remove the fragment because sometimes they operate on the wrong level and the person wakes up in worse pain than ever. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Cause you know, most of the time people have multiple causes of their pain. They might have like a common one is L4, L5, L5, S1, disc bulge. One is more herniated than the other, but it doesn't mean that the, the one that looks more herniated is causing the pain. So sure. they might go in and, and clean one up and then they, they feel the same or just worse when they wake up. So this guy came in, this guy went and got his surgery and he had to start the um, Q course within just a few months. He had like five months or something. Thankfully, he ended up getting a little bit more time. But the way I trained him was the exact same way that you start off in back mechanic. You, we desensitize as if he had virtual surgery. We start walking and then we start a little bit of core work with not, without too much compression. The big three, some planks, some push-ups some TRX rows, and then we we took the TRX rows to pull-ups. And then we took the big three to more advanced, dead bugs, pallet press, 
uh, Roman chair reverse um, um, back extension holds for time. Okay, mm -hmm. different things to be able to build compression in the spine. And then when he had to when he had to go back in for the Q course, he had to do a trap bar deadlift, three hundred pounds off his shoelaces. He had to do X amount of pull ups, X amount of sit ups. Well, sit ups were some with someone with a, a disc uh, herniation can be really bad for you. It could like really screw them up. That's one of right. the biggest reasons why people get out of the military is their backs blown out from PT. So what we did, we used a very strategic uh, approach. And I learned this from Dr. McGill. We train anti-rotation, stiffening exercises, and only a little bit of the bendy stuff. We did a, the bendy stuff every once in a while at 50%. So if you needed to do 70 sit-ups in one minute, we'd go up to 30 or 35 a couple of times just to make sure he had the movement down and he felt good. And then we would train the crap out of stir the pots and the back extension holds and side planks, front planks, all those different things. And he didn't have to beat the hell out of himself getting ready for the Q course uh, entry, entry PT test. And then, he, and then he had more time to heal because then he had a break. He was just doing shooting for a while. So he graduated with his green beret actually uh, three weeks ago. I'm That's how we built them. I'm I'm listening to it, and all I'm all I'm remembering back is 1020 life, lifting light all the time, and then yeah. you peak for a couple of weeks, and then you get in, get out, hit your heavy lifts, and be done with it. And yeah. it's there's so many parallels, right? It's just like the the concept of testing all the time and and pushing heavy singles or or you know pushing max attempts. Like we can talk about the max effort method and how valuable that might be. Yeah. Got a lot of people strong. You got a lot of people strong, but for how long? Right. The level of attrition is very high. So has your, obviously I know the answer to this, but has your experience through powerlifting kind of shaped the way that you view the work that you do now? Yeah, it's, it's kind of it definitely filled in gaps that would be there otherwise if I didn't, because in July or August of 2013, I said in an email, Stu, I've been pain-free for a while. I'm ready to progress. What do we do next? And he said, great. You're the trainer. You're the coach. Bounce some things off me if you want to, but you're the expert in this field. We can work together, but you need to uh, start putting it together and figuring out uh, what you should do, and I'll help you. So I kind of just got thrust into it and figured it out uh, on my own with the help of Dr. McGill. So that base was very helpful during that time. Yeah. Understanding progressions, fleshing out time. So for instance, if I, similar to the Green Beret, if I have someone that wants to get back under the barbell, we don't go desensitize with walking to core work to 300 pounds on the squat. We go desensitizing, building capacity with walks, sled drags, and then harder core work like suitcase carries, stir the pot, those things, and then goblet squats, and then front squats, and then back squats over time. We don't just throw the axial load right away after being pain-free for two weeks. For some people, that's great. If it works for you, go do it. But for the people that you keep doing the cycle over and over of feeling good for two months and you're down for two weeks, which is very common, mm -hmm. um, you gotta, you're not healing. You're just picking the scab and having acute flare-ups every two months. And eventually you're going to have a big one where you're going to be really effed up. And that's what generally happens. Talk to me a little bit about the things that you do outside of consulting, because that's one area where I've been kind of fascinated with that you've branched out. So, you know, power act strength was, you know, 
if you could draw a parallel, it was it was a content site, right? You go yeah. there for an, an incredibly large amount of information from, I think at one point we we're like 22 authors on the site, 22 yeah. or 23. And then you, know, you did a you did a rejigging, decided to go at it on your own for some very good reasons. Um, and then now you have a line of CBD products, you have uh, some gym accessories and stuff like that. So how did those kind of fit into what you were doing? I don't know, man. I didn't really have a plan for um, like the direction. I knew I wanted to do more back stuff. We were trying to get pregnant. I knew I wasn't going to have as much time to dedicate to the team. Um, so I don't know, man. I just I just knew what I needed to do, and I just kind of figured it out along the way. So yeah, I sell I sell the books on on the site now, and I've uh, sold different things here and there. But to be honest with you, um, I want to get back to writing. And so that's going to be one of the things that I focus on. And I think sometimes it's just going to be um, stuff that maybe I only care about. Maybe it's like writing my thoughts out or something like that. You know, struggling with being motivated to train while I'm off of supplements and don't have a meet coming up. You know, don't ever want to have a meet coming up. Um, so I want to get back to writing and more content and be doing a lot more stuff on, on YouTube. But the CBD, going back to the cannabis vein in 2013, I started experimenting with CBD as well. I don't know, five, six years ago or so. And one of my friends that I went to high school with is now my business partner. She lives out in Arizona and she was the one that was already into this whole CBD cannabis thing. And so she educated me quite a few years ago. Then we tried some things and then we worked on my formula for a couple of years. And I just was the guinea pig for myself. It was like, I'm not going to sell this if it doesn't work or if I don't really like it. So we worked our way through the bombs, the roll on, and then the drops. So like, okay, this works. And then we worked our way to the gummies. We have gummies now. So we have a full line that it actually does pretty good because, you know, we, we have testing for our products. Most people don't have testing for it. And, right. you know, now in, in Canada, North America in general, excuse me, CBD is sold everywhere in the gas stations here, smoke shops. It's unregulated and, and people are either getting bunk or they're getting some harmful stuff that might have them end up failing a drug test. Because you can have the 2018 Hemp Farm Bill Act legalized hemp in the United States, right? Legalized hemp. But you can still have up to 0.3 THC, 0.3% THC in your CBD legally. It's still quite a bit. Yeah. And, and, is that something that a police officer, a fireman, or someone that's tested regularly wants to take a chance with? I wouldn't. So that's why we use CBD isolate. A lot of the other brands use full and broad spectrum, which can have its benefits, but you don't know exactly how much of what is in it. And I would equate that to kind of like a multivitamin. Are you going to get enough uh, vitamin C out of your multivitamin? No. Are you going to even touch it? Maybe not. What's Some of these multivitamins have you know a couple hundred milligrams of vitamin C, you need it by the gram. So there's a little bit of an illustration of why CBD isolate is better, why we use it. And we've actually had multiple people uh, get drug tested. One was a, uh, a fireman that worked on a nuclear plant. And he wrote me an email one day, drug test. And I knew it was from a fireman. I'm like, oh, crap. So I'm looking. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know I passed my drug test. I don't know if you've had anyone let you know yet, but I've been taking the drops for the last year and we're good. I would have had a fucking heart attack. I know, man. It's just, there's a, 
that can be a can of worms. But anyway, so I've got into the CBD, you know, I sell the books and I'm going to start writing a bit more. Um, but yeah, things have definitely changed quite a bit in my life. Uh, since we aren't doing the team writing anymore. Um, and then I've had twins, you know, they're three and a half now. So that was uh, a big, a big pivot in 2019 for sure. And that was right before the pandemic, but I was already doing a lot of virtual consults before that. So once the world shut down and everyone was running around, you know, panicking, I was like getting busier than ever. Cause I already had the model set up for it. You're also in Florida where there are no rules. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like people that were, you know, shut in their house up in Canada and different parts of the States and the world. I mean, I talked to some people, for instance, in Russia, they weren't even allowed to walk their dogs except for like once a day. If they were outside without walking their dog the one time, they were getting fined. I saw people that were sheltered inside rooms in Australia and Vietnam. So, yeah, it was definitely an interesting time. Yeah. During, during the pandemic for me, like similar thing, I, I was operating my business remotely and because most of my clients were in the U S I didn't really lose anyone and people were more interested in like, how do I not get fat? So I started doubling down on my nutrition business and you know, that, that started to grow and then branched into other things. And you know, the, I, I feel as though like, I don't want, I don't want you to feel like this is like a promotion of you and your business, but I, I do find it very valuable to learn about what people are doing, why they're doing it because it's, you know, success leaves clues, right? So if you're able to be a father, which I know is the most important thing in your life and run a successful business and be a husband and be a good friend to your, you know, a good friend to your community. It's like, you can do all of these things if it's orchestrated in the proper manner. Yeah. But I feel like a loser to be honest with you. I don't feel like, and I know this is like, this is not the way I feel currently, but at times I get upset that, you know, uh, the mistakes I've made in the past with say business, uh, falling out, falling out with people, um, not accomplishing as much as I wanted to in powerlifting, um, you know, failures with clients. The, like, so sometimes even though it might look like, you know, I'm starting to get it together. Like I, I, I still feel like I got so long to go to like get it, get the whole thing figured out. You know what I mean? I know. I know exactly what you mean. And I think you can only glean that experience from going through it for 20 years to get to a point where you see the opportunities that were maybe missed or lost. And now you're not going to miss or lose those opportunities. And you're going to create them for yourself in different ways um so i'm wondering like what's what's next for you like what what are you like aside from the writing and the youtube like where do you see that taking you or is this one thing where you're just continuing to capitalize on what lights your fire in the moment oh wow okay so i've been doing a lot of thinking and praying on this lately i really enjoyed going to swiss a couple of weeks ago and i really do hope that they decide to continue it whether it be in uh, Mississauga or in columbus either way <laughs> yeah. you know it doesn't matter to me. Um, I I, I want to work more with the the special forces, first responders. Um, you know, I, I got a request the other day from uh, another task force and special ops that wanted me to come out and do some stuff with them. Um, 
some of the three letter words have reached out to me. I think they're just spying on me because they know I have a bunch of guns. They just wanted to touch base with me. But uh, <laughs> infiltrate my phone. <laughs> no, but um, I want to continue to help as many people as possible. And here's my here's one of my goals. I would like to get in a position where I can start doing some pro bono work for people, which I already do. And I'm not doing that to, to be a virtue signaler. Or, oh, mm-hmm. Brian's nice. He gives free stuff. No, I'd like to be in a position where people that are broke and are about to lose their house because they haven't been able to work, I would like to be in a position to be able to forgive them of their debt. Um, but here's the problem, and there's a catch with this. When you don't charge someone for something, there's inherently no value. So I have to figure out a way to be able to do that because, you know, a lot of the times I can I can do something like this and it blows people's mind. It's not a trick. It's, it's real life. So what I can do, someone says, I have pain when I stand up. My back just hurts right here and lights up through my glutes. I'll say, okay, put your hands on your erectors here. Okay. Lean forward. You feel how hard they get? Oh yeah, they're real hard. Now come back till they turn off. Okay. They're off. Now, how do you feel? I feel okay. Now sag your knees just a couple of degrees. Now stand there. Now look at me. How do you feel now? Oh, my back. It, it feels fine. I said, that's because you, then I say that's because you transferred the load from those back muscles using compression all day, every day. You transferred them to your hips and your knees and your ankles and no more standing pain for you. But you're standing at attention because you're freaking Green Beret or Marine or something like that. And you're used to standing up like this, just crushing your back all day, every day. So uh, that I want to be able to get it to a point where I can help people out when I can, not, you know, not for any other reason, just than helping, helping people out that are struggling. So I'd like to get a point to a point financially where I can do that. And so by selling more books, selling more CBD, I'll be able to reach more people and uh, forgive people of like, you know, people owe me a hundred dollars here, a couple hundred, I'll forgive that now. I want to be able to do free assessments for people where I can spend a whole day and not worry about making a dollar. And then not looking at my account and then in the month saying, dude, I could have used that $1,500 or, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to get to a point where that just doesn't matter. I want to be able to give like that. So I think, I think we just kind of unlocked what it is that drives you and that's helping people. The medium, yeah. in which, the medium in which you're helping people is just with back pain in specific, but what lights your fire is, is helping people and having books and products that can help people. That that's what drives you, man. That's that's what moves you forward. For sure. And I would never put my name on some bunk CBD that I don't use myself. Dude. My wife runs the CBD and stuff for me now, so she's gonna kick my ass. But yeah, I mean, it's just dude, I use this stuff all the it's awesome, dude. It's really good stuff. I would I would never put my name on a book if it's a piece of shit. I'd never put my name on CBD products if it was a piece of junk. And I would never offer to coach someone if I wouldn't give them a hundred percent. That's where the, the heads butt sometimes though. And you're going to have that with alpha males. Do you want me to help you? Or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? You decide that you want to hear what you need to hear. Stop training. Otherwise you're going to be on your side again, stuck for a month. Like you were three months ago, crying to me. Mm-hmm. Or you are cocky arguing with me. Like, you know, better. So go do your thing and then we'll see who's right in a year from now. You know what? If they're right and they can train through it, great. 
it's great. I don't lose anything. Right. I have to come back. Then maybe there's a teaching lesson there. It's a win-win for me. If they, if they get like that and they go train and they go blow themselves apart, it's not my fault. I've tried to prevent that. But then sometimes I can learn from them and then say, how did they escape uh, flaring themselves up when they got right back to bodybuilding or right back to jujitsu or right back to powerlifting or right back to uh, gymnastics or track and field or they went right back in, you know, as a, as a seal and buds or, or whatever it is. I'll ask them, I'm like, what did you do to stay in one piece? Sometimes it's just pure luck. Other times they figure out a little hack or two. Okay, I got a I got a bit of a selfishly motivated question here. So obviously you got into powerlifting because you love training. Now, you know, you mentioned a little bit, you know, your low motivation without being on supplements, not having a meat in sight, and never having a meat in sight. Have you been able to find a point where you still train, you still enjoy it, and you're still able to get what you need from it? I don't know. I don't know what I get from it anymore. You know? Yep. I, I, I don't know what I get from it anymore. Uh, sometimes I'm out in the gym, you know, I got a nice outfitted gym in the garage, you know, three car garage. And sometimes I'd rather be at the dentist or I'd <laughs> rather, be, um, you know, taking out the garbage or anything other than what I'm doing right then. I'd rather have my teeth drilled on. Just because it's what I do all day, every day, I like helping other people. But now that I've kind of let that part of me die, it's all or nothing with me. You know, I, I'm training hard, I'm focused, I'm dialed in, or it's just really hard for me to get motivated to train. Now, I made myself do some stuff earlier yesterday. Uh, yeah, so two days in a row, yesterday I did, and then today I did some stuff. So if I can do that, I feel good when I do it. Like, I'm glad when I'm doing I was doing some bicep curls with the forties today, you know, curling. Yeah. This arm is fine. Like I don't have any problems. I don't have daily pain, but just starting it is sometimes like pulling teeth. But once I get going, I'm like, okay, I'm glad I did this. And as I was uh, doing the uh, finisher today, I'm like, okay, just need to remember how this feels right now. And even though I'd rather do anything else in the world, but this, if I get started, I'll be glad I did it. So it's more blowing off steam now uh, for me than like an endeavor to try to get as strong as possible. So I, I do a lot more walking and, uh, you know, walking and, and spending time with the girls. I haven't quite found that physical thing yet that I want to kind of go after. And if, like, let's say I start getting into jujitsu, then I'm going to start training for jujitsu. Right. My core, or my grip and all that stuff. So maybe that's just what I need, but, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what what's going to be next with training. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot on that myself, and that's why I would kind of, you know, I had Luke Miller on earlier, who was you know competing in bodybuilding, and now doesn't because he's you know he just became a father and wants to devote his time for that and, and his business. He just quit. He quit bodybuilding. He still trains, but just quit. Um, he, how, how competitive was he? Um, not very. I don't think he. Uh, I mean. I actually don't know what level he competed at, but he wasn't a pro or anything. Okay. So, okay. All right. Gotcha. He, so, uh, you know, just giving it up to be uh, dedicated, you know, more time because bodybuilding, I, mean, I did that a couple of times. And how did you enjoy that? It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Really? <clears throat> Without question. Yeah. It's ridiculous. The, all that stuff you got to do. The way I described it was that, alarm that goes off in your head when you unrack a heavy squat that's saying don't bend your knees 
it's that same alarm that goes off for every single task you have to do during the day because you're so fucking hungry and tired. And how do you do it? How do you like I did it completely? I didn't do it great. You know, I did it as a teenager. I didn't even take clenbuterol or like caffeine or anything. So it wasn't like I got emaciated, like my feet hurting to walk because I was so low, but low body fat and anatomy chart. So I didn't get to that level, but I still didn't like the fact that I had to eat regimented and lower carb and no junk food and all the cardio and the tanning and that stuff didn't, Yeah, that stuff didn't bother me, to be honest. And, and the reason I did it was because I was looking for that mental struggle that I wasn't able to get from powerlifting anymore. Right. And it gave me that and more. But I also am not I'm not really willing to take on the health risks associated with bodybuilding anymore because it's obviously not a healthy sport, healthy endeavor for your body. Um, I still love training. I still love pushing myself and doing that. And I can do that as, as much as I want now. I still, can't, I can't squat and be healthy. <laughs> so I just don't. Yeah. My knee and my left hip, the okay. knee pain is honest. The knee pain is manageable. It's when, when my hip is bothering me, it's, everything hurts like like every task during the day hurts so but i can train bodybuilding style with like great range of motion no pain at all week after week and push myself really hard so i've been doing that and my goals right now is you know as vain as it sounds i just want to look fucking jacked and that's that's a good one to have that's that's where i get the enjoyment from it i guess um but i am still jockeying with the idea of you know if i'm pain-free all the time now and you know like you mentioned oh you know i'm pain-free let me let me start squatting again yeah like i'm kind of in that mindset where it's like maybe i could but am i willing to set myself back with the one year of amazing progress that i've made so far whereas i could just keep doing what i'm doing and get what i need to get out of training yeah that's the decision everyone has to make and i've had that talk with a lot of people you know, I look at it di- a little bit differently than, say, Dr. McGill did with me. Dr. McGill d- with me was like, if you were my son, I would urge you to stop lifting. Go enjoy a good life. Heal up. I think I can get you pain free. Well, when I have these talks with, you know, someone that's the all-time world record holder, I'll say, I don't look at you like like Stu looked at me. I looked at you as like an equal as far as a competitor. Mm. And I know what I did and what I thought. So, Ideally, you should probably uh, consider quitting, but I know you're not going to do that. So I'll help you as much as I can. Just know there's no promises. And uh, some people just can't get back to that level. They can get pain-free, but they can't get back to that level. Um, and then they, ha- they have to make that decision. They want to risk it all, potentially, and then end back up in, in maybe a worse position or similar position in a year or two from now. That's the decision that we all have to make at the end of the day and live with the consequences. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had to step away from a client because you just couldn't get behind what they were trying to do? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for multiple different reasons. I've had to just kind of, um, and it ends up being, they want to come back way too quick. Mm. Like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, I'm like, dude, you were just crying to me the other day about how you just wanted your life back. You're spoiled now. You got your life back. Now you're getting greedy. Mm. You're not going to be ready for a show in two months. You're not going to be ready for a meet in three months. So uh, I think it's best that 
you and I don't work together. You can you can go that way, but if you change your mind, you know, reach out to me and uh, you know, just let me know how it goes. And sometimes it gets ugly at that point. Other times it doesn't get ugly at all. Sometimes I I I, I head it off at the pass when I get an email from someone and we exchange a couple emails and they can't follow very simple directions. Back mechanic, gift of injury. If you want to work with me, read gift of injury, not because I want to make a few dollars off the book. Sure, I want to make I want to sell copies of the book, but I'm not going to tell you anything that you have to do or give you anything prescribed that I didn't do myself. Mm-hmm. So when you complain about having to take time off, you know that I did the exact same thing mm-hmm. myself. Gift of injury is in my bedroom, but there you go. 1020 life right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just have prerequisites and it's kind of a litmus test sometimes to see if, if they can't follow directions about ordering a book or so, and then like doing, you know, reaching back out to me after they do the assessment in chapter six of back mechanic, there's always exceptions because there's some people that are technical, technologically, you know, just completely just not with it. Right. They're older or whatever. Some people mm-hmm. chose to not um, even affiliate with it. So I, I have to be careful of that too. But if 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 I can tell someone's going to be difficult, just not going to listen to my advice. Like I had this happen sometimes. I'll write back and say, hey, you know, I've given you a couple of suggestions to already start feeling better. And you've just disregarding the, disregarded them. And I get that to you for free. I don't have the time to waste on this anymore. You know, I think it's best you find another practitioner. I wish you the best, but uh, I don't think that we're a good fit. Yeah. And I'll just cut it off before it even starts because I can see – I've had it go south on me enough to know this person and I just, it ain't going to work. They operate a little differently than me. I think that's really important. I think having some way to pre-qualify your clients to work with you is important, especially as you get more advanced in the coaching field, because you don't want to be wasting your time on, not only wasting your time, wasting your emotional energy on someone, because if you're working with someone, you're going to emotionally invest in that person. You're going to want to give your, you're going to want to pour into that person. And if they're not either ready or receptive to that, it's just going to be a drain on you. Yeah. Or if it's too hard to read a book, <laughs> you know, it's too hard to like read a book when you know, your life is, your life is going sideways and you've been telling me about how bad it is and you won't even crack open a book, man, you're not going to want to go for a walk when it's 30 degrees outside. You're not going to want to do your exercises every day. You're not going to want to move well. So mm-hmm. I already know that we're not going to work. So that's just going to save both of us some trouble. So you mentioned, so you said, you know, might want to go with work with somebody else. And and one thing that I've noticed over the last couple of years, you've collaborated with a lot of really cool people. Um, you know, you talk about Andrew Locke, you talk about uh, Andrew Horshek. Is that how you pronounce his name, Horshek? Oh, it's Aaron. Aaron, Aaron Horshek. Aaron Horshek. Sorry. Yep. Um, Squat University. What have been like the highlights in terms of like collaborations with people that you really gleaned a lot from? That's a good question. Uh, Andrew, I like his calmness and I've, he just takes his time when he's talking and he's not in a rush. You're on his time. And I like that. I like his, uh, I like his demeanor. I like the way he explains things. I like his sense of humor. Um, <laughs> from, from him, I just, I, I, I just picked up slowing down and not being in such a rush. And, uh, it just his lightheartedness with like his jokes and everything. I think that's been something that's Help me because I'm more of intense, you know, and like more. A little more bit. Yeah, I'm intense. Are you going to pick up any of his fashion sense? 
fashion sense? Well, I have grown my hair out, so it's like a starting point, maybe. Well, okay, yeah, to like the dazzling. <laughs> no, but his suit, <laughs> his suit, uh, his suit for his presentation was pretty oh, awesome. Great pinstripe. Oh, great. He did. He pulled it off well. And you know, one thing about uh, Horseshoe, going back to Andrew, his willingness to help. He's very generous too. Very sweet man. Okay. And then Horshig, his work ethic. His work ethic is crazy. That's why he's successful. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I went to film with him in August, I met up with him at like 7.30 or 8. We filmed all day from 7.30 to 8 uh, to like 7 at night. Went and eight. In the morning, before we started our filming session, we filmed uh, eight videos, I think. Three have been released. Um, we filmed eight videos during that day. Before we started filming on that session, he was working with a medalist from India on Olympic weightlifting. And then after he finished with her and before he started with me, he was putting up his Instagram posts. It is short. He was putting it up, put it down. We filmed. We filmed all freaking day. Didn't turn it off. We're eating pizza. And then at 7 p.m., he's putting up his 7 p.m. post. Da, 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 doing it himself. Now, he has help with YouTube, but he does all the Instagram stuff himself. That's so cool. that work ethic. And he told me, he goes, dude, I'm hungry. I love working. That's my addiction. And he puts in the time, dude. That's why he's so successful. I love I love that, man. That's what, that's what, that's what people need to hear. Like, I, I put out a post. I think it was yesterday. It's like, the people that are doing better than you are no different than you. They just do a little more. And the, the more that they do is way more accurate. Like he yeah, knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, he's got it down. And he's very generous with uh, his information on how he, he's built his following and everything. And it's just relentless pursuit and consistency every single day. Mm -hmm. It's not about perfection. It's about doing it right at least most of the time. It's not going to be perfect all the time, right? Well, if you throw a ton of darts at a dartboard, something's going to hit. Yep. Do it. Just be consistent with it and then learn from it. But um, and that's another parallel to the getting better with the back pain is you got to be consistent with it. Mm -hmm. And people want the passive therapy, like the acupuncture. You know, acupuncture is really big now for some reason. I, I don't know why. Um, it can be helpful. I'm not... You know, I'm a I'm a soft tissue guy myself, so it isn't like, man, I was such an idiot when I was a massage therapist. No, it's just like it's it all has its use. Yeah, it's right? a tool. Yeah, the tool of your tool belt. It's like chiropractic can be a game changer for some people, but other people it can cripple them. Mm. So the right tool has to be pulled out of the belt and used properly. Um, so yeah, I don't even know where I was going with that. Why did I even bring that up? <laughs> I don't know. It's okay, man. Um... <laughs> So I want to be mindful of your time. I do have a couple of quick hit questions. We're fine. We can go as long as you want. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. When is Dr. McGill going to retire? From seeing people, period? Yeah. I, okay, asked, him, so I asked him that at Swiss. He's like, he's like, oh, people just need to stop getting hurt, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. He, he always has an interesting answer. So I did an interview with him. Um, while we were there, and it's yeah. about 250 minutes, he talked about uh, how he got into the pathway he did. He was going to go to school to be a plumber, and uh, and then someone changed his trajectory, and he went to 
he went to college to play football instead. He was going to drop out and uh, go to be a plumbing apprentice. So he ended up going to the University of Toronto, and then that's how the pathway yeah. started. Um, when's he going to retire? Man, he's going to uh, keep seeing people, and he can be more picky with who he sees. So the like most complicated, difficult cases or like a famous person or athlete or whatever, he'll see them. Um but uh, yeah, I don't. I think he'll he'll see people once a week for for pretty much ever, and everyone else will kind of just disperse to me if they're down near me, and you know the other clinicians and coaches, you know, out and about. All right. The uh, first question I have for you is: Do you crack your egg on the side of a pan or on a flat surface? Side of the pan. Interview is over. Well, I have an assistant now, so she cracks the eggs. You have an assistant. You met my assistant up at Swiss. Your wife? No, the, the brunette girl that was there. That was your assistant? That was your assistant? She was filming the whole time, bro. Oh, I didn't know she was your assistant. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, she's a human too. So I wasn't like, this is my assistant. But yeah, it was my assistant. You should have you should have big-timed her. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that's my assistant. <laughs> she said, she said, I didn't know you were so famous. And I said, whatever, shut up. Because I, I said to her, I said, you, you probably thought that, I'd be more popular because I didn't know that so many people would be wanting to like come up. I said, well, you know, famous in like a very small pond, you know, if you want to call it famous, like pop, I had a lot of people that I was helping that weekend. Infamous. 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 So she cracks the eggs for me, or Rhea does, I think on the side of the pan, but you know, I I have a cooking background. I actually had a scholarship and I could have went to college to be a cook. I worked at my first job ever was Golden Corral when I was 16 I was a grill cook, so I did the steaks and chicken breast. Before it was all buffet, we actually had to grill. So I do burgers, steak, chicken breast, pork chops, all that stuff. And so I did a special class in high school where we had two hours of cooking for the whole 11th grade year. And so I had a scholarship if I wanted it, but I was so over school that I just didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to talk about it. didn't want to think about it. With that said, in the cooking class, I learned to always crack your egg or cook, crack your egg in a separate bowl. That way, you don't, if it's a bad egg, you don't put it, you know, with the other ones or ruin your recipe or whatever it may be. So I learned that. Okay. So I do that. All right. You got five dinner guests. Do you dinner. crack it in a separate bowl? I crack it on, yeah, I crack, I crack it into a separate bowl. Actually, that's a lie. I just crack everything into the pan. <laughs> I'm so lazy when it comes to food, man. I just, I eat six times a day. I'm just fucking. What do you eat? Um, almost like super basic, to be honest. Like I probably eat like 12 foods, meat, veggies, white rice, cream of rice, eggs, and whey and fruit. Okay. okay. It's like, it's like seven or eight. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I do beef and rice and, uh, you saw my cooler. When I was ver- like, vertical over. diet. Yeah, pretty much. I do that. And I don't know. I try to eat less too. That's another thing. The uh, I'm actually starting. I'm going to have him on the podcast when we start up. But I I had ran into some gut issues during my bodybuilding prep, and they haven't really resolved yet. So, I remember Swiss last year. Yeah, I was really fucked up. Um, so I I'm going to be working with Dr. Dwayne Jackson, um, try and help out with my gut stuff. So, What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. He, uh, symptoms of IBS. Mm. Um, but it's just so long standing and 
it's affecting like a lot of my inflammatory markers now too. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on in the background, but I've been really good with my blood work and it's been steadily improving over the last year. Um, but it's still not where I would like it to be. It's really, it's really just my, my creatine kinase levels are just high, higher than I, higher than you would like them to be even for a big guy who trains hard, but even my, my liver enzymes are fine. My kidneys fine. Everything's fine. So just the digestion and that, um, Top five dinner. So you have five dinner guests, dead or alive. Who are they? Man, um, I mean, it's a good question, but top five dinner dinner guests. I'll go athletes. Okay. Just so, so I make it easy. Um, we go Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. Mike Tyson, mm-hmm. um, Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson. Um, shoot, I'm, I'm flaming out, I'm flaming out. Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, Tiger Woods, probably another great Lance Armstrong. And then I don't know who, who, who would be the, the fifth one, probably uh, an American footballer. Um, I don't know, like Tom Brady or something like that. Just they're, they're all like top, like crazy winner people. You know what I mean? Like the mindset, like Jordan was he was getting fist fights with his friends. Tom Brady, you know, he's kind of would throw a fit if he didn't win. And, you know, but he won, but, you know, he's kind of, you know, pretty adamant about winning. And then Tyson obviously was out of his mind crazy. Lance Armstrong would do anything to win. So I guess I just, yeah. I was going to say the most popular answers to that question so far that come up like almost every time are Winston Churchill Okay. Jesus. Jesus. Okay. I wanted to go athletes. Yeah, yeah. Winston Churchill. I actually got a book here about Churchill's secret warriors that I'm I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I started a little while ago, but yeah, he's he's definitely an awesome one. Very interesting. With, with what he did with the uh, with the war and everything. Very very interesting. The last question I have for you: Who's one person you would like to see on this podcast? With the caveat being, you have to help me get them on. Oh, okay. Um, why don't you get Stan Efforting on and talk to him about your, well, you're about to hire a coach, so you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, get double information, but Stan Efforting, uh, would probably be a good one for you to have on just to talk about nutrition, especially since you've been doing a lot of that. And maybe you guys can talk about what he's seen with gut health. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. If you haven't had him on yet. I haven't had him on. Yeah. He's, uh, he's an interesting cat. I, he always when once I speak to him, he always remembers who I am. But he has a story, he doesn't understand. Yeah, he doesn't see faces and names. No, he and he says that too. He's terrible with names. Yeah. Hey Biggs, what's up, Biggs? Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, you've endorsed my book, and I met you like twenty times. You, uh, yeah, he's very he's very particular and organized, and he's another one that just kind of seemingly. I know he's he's definitely, you know got some stuff where he's super focused and, and probably OCD, but he stays calm too. It seems like mm-hmm. he's just like calm and just cool. And this, this is what it is. You know, if you don't want to do it, then don't complain about your tummy, you know, or whatever. He'll just say, he'll just say funny stuff like that. You know, I love it. 
Dude, I really appreciate your time to come spend with me. Um, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, you're, you're a mentor to me and taught me a lot about, you know, this business training, how to carry myself. And you're someone I always look to for advice. So I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Anything you want to, so I'm going to put your, where to find you in the show notes, but anything you want to promote any of our Polish, Czech, Chinese speaking audience. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we have a few different versions of uh gift of injury that's live now. So we got just Korean and that's Polish. Uh, we've done Czech. We've done um, Italian, Chinese. So a few different uh, versions of gift of injury. If uh, English isn't your first or second language. So we got some options there for you. Um, go to BackFit Pro if you want to get some of the international copies. If you want domestic, you can get them from me, PowerRackStrength.com. Those out there that have back pain, you're on a budget, that's great. Two books, spend $70 and get back mechanic and gift of injury. And most people I've found, if they really apply themselves, they can fix themselves with those two books. Maybe they need like a little bit of help with like suggestions, progressions, like mm. pain-free, but I want to get under the bar. What do I do for the next bit of time? Right. That's an ideal consult for me. People have already done the homework, but some people that I, that I work with, they're, they're too busy or can't read well or don't want to read or whatever it is. And I'll, I'll take them on too, as long as they're willing to like refer back to the books and such, because I can't teach them everything. They got to do some reading on their own. Right. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, please make sure to like, share, subscribe. Brian, thank you so much again, and we'll catch you guys later.